Okay. I hope it's good. Because I feel earlier today, like, I went through the message. I was like, okay, yeah, this is this is good. But then I felt a little weird around, like, 3 o'clock. So who knows what you're going to get. I hope you get a really good message. So I start off with the memory of when I was a little boy. I rode my bike everywhere. And I've told you all this before you know, before, but most of the time I would ride without shoes because it, I felt like it just took too long to put shoes on, which was such a bad idea. I was always in a hurry. And then also it just took me a while to tie my shoelaces. And somehow we ended up riding our bikes. This was close to uh, the country. And uh, there's this field that had a gate, like a gate entrance. And so we, we pulled up to that gate entrance and we didn't realize it at the time, but there were stickers everywhere. There were stickers covering this entire, I think it was pavement, but the stickers were on top of it. And so it was me and a lot of my friends. And we pulled up there. Our our bike tires just go flat, like, immediately. And then I set my feet down, and I've got stickers all in my feet. And there's, I feel like, you know, there's nothing that I can do on my own to save myself. I mean, no matter what, if I crawled on my hands and my knees, like that would have been worse, right? And so I just pretty much sat there and cried. I was like, I'm stuck here. I was paralyzed, you know, paralyzed with like, what do I do? Well, luckily there's this old man that pulls up and I think that it was his field and he sees us and uh, he realizes that we're stuck there. He picks me up and gets my bike, and then I get to the side, and I dust all those stickers out of the bottom of my feet, and then he puts my bike and and me in the back of his truck. I mean, this was probably a bad idea, but at the time, I didn't know. I was just like, thank goodness. Don't ever do this. Don't just hop in the back of somebody's truck. I didn't know there'd be. But the guy, was he was actually a really good man, and that day, that man was my savior. Matthew 9.36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus saw the people in their helpless state, much like I was that day. And he didn't just shake his head and go about his business. He had compassion on them. And we can all feel helpless at times. We can feel you know, fear, anxiety, pride, lust, doubt. And thankfully, we have a Savior that loves us. And He didn't come to this earth to condemn us. He came to this world to save us. And I read a book before I wrote this message. I read it last week. It's called Rest in War. It's by Ben Stewart. And I love a lot of the quotes, a lot of the illustrations, a lot of the stories that he uses in the book. So if you get a chance, go get it. It's a good read. But in this book, he talks about Jesus and how he described his ministry. And I'd never looked at this scripture in this way. So this is Luke eleven twenty one through 22. It says, when a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. So what does this scripture actually mean? The man that is guarding his house is the devil. I never looked at it that way. But the this, this someone that is stronger, that is Jesus. 
and then the treasure is us. And I love this picture. How many of y'all have, have said, my dad can beat your dad up? A lot of us, I, would, I used to say that all the time. I know that I did multiple times. And it seemed like there was nothing that my dad couldn't do. You know, I, I thought that he could fix anything. And Bodhi has that perception of me right now. And I'm not gonna bur- I'm not gonna burst his bubble. I'm not gonna tell him that you know I'm not able to fix every little thing. And I'm gonna keep it going a little bit longer. Cause I know the truth. I know that I am limited. So let's talk about the stronger one. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the King of Kings. And let's let's talk about Jesus and his ministry a little bit and how it started out. So he was baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. This is Matthew three sixteen through 17. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with whom, with him I'm well pleased. And right after that, Jesus was led by the Spirit. And he was tempted by the devil after 40 days without food. And the devil offered him all the kingdoms of the world, and Jesus refuted everything that the devil threw at him with Scripture. It was actually Scripture from Deuteronomy. And after this, Luke 4, it says that Jesus went back full and under the power of the Holy Spirit, and he came back to his hometown and entered his synagogue. And he was handed the book from the prophet Isaiah, and he turned to it to Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. It's up here on the screen. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of, the, of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And he began, he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And I love this scripture because he, he has come to set the oppressed free. And that's what he did. He, right after that, he gave the, the blind their sight back. He set free women that were stuck in like sexual immorality. He gave a man a hope that had driven away like all, all, of, all of his relationships because of his love of money. And he freed men from demons and darkness. And he brought peace into this world. He is the stronger one. And that's something that we can never forget. We're so blessed because we're on this side of the cross. And we know that the one who had no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And the scripture also tells us that we have, some, we have become something new. And this doesn't mean that we're perfect. It's, it's not like... I'm going to go on sinning no more. And I've told you all what happened. And this is another story that you've probably heard before. Some of you had. After the day that I was baptized, we, we went out and we were catching tadpoles in this. It was a bar ditch there in Toya, Texas. And it was a sunny day. So the day before I had been cleansed of my sins, you know, I was baptized. And I pictured myself just perfect, white as snow. And as we're catching the tadpoles, I dropped one. And a cuss word just slipped out of my mouth like that. And I remember just a feeling of despair coming over my body. I was perfect, 
but I had ruined that, but at least that's what I thought. So I called my mom as soon as I got home and I told her what I'd done. And my mom explains, you know, that's why I was baptized. God had forgiven me of my sin and, and he would continue to forgive me of my sin. It wasn't just a one-time thing. He'd continue to forgive me of my sin. I just had to continue to ask him for that forgiveness. And it's like Pastor Curtis says, you know, if you mess up, am I going to take the name off of Conley and Bodie's jersey? Am I going to take Wesley off the off of their backs if they mess up? There's no way that I'm going to do that because they are my children and will always be my children. We are children of God and we will look different than the world. The sins of our past should not affect our future because we have been set free. In his book, Ben Stewart puts it, puts it this way. We have not been set free from, from the fight. We have been set free for the fight. So just think about that a little bit. We have not been set free from the fight, but we have been set free for the fight. And I think that that's one of our biggest hangups when we're pursuing holiness. We think that since we've been set free, that all of our temptations will just be gone. But that's not the case. And you might actually feel discouraged right now because of continuous failures. And please don't get discouraged. The reason that you are discouraged is because you're aware of the failures and you want something to change. And that is a good sign. We're meant to fight with Jesus. And that means with our change in identity, we don't have to continue on sinning. And we're not set free. You're not going to be set free from the struggle. The struggle will continue on, but we are set free so that we can struggle well. So there's a difference in this, in this mentality that the mentality switches from a victim to a victor mentality. So when I was in college, I definitely had adopted the victim mentality. There were a slew of temptations that I was faced with week to week, more than any other time in my life. I was faced with a lot of temptation, but I began to blame everything on the environment that I was in. And I would say things like, you know, that really wasn't my fault. You know, I was I was planning on just going to the party for a little bit, but um, I decided to stay a little bit longer. You know, I, w I was planning on just going to bed early and they continued to ask me if I wanted more to drink and I couldn't let them down. You know, that would be disrespectful if I didn't drink with them or I would say stuff like, you know, it's been a rough week, like I deserve to just hang out with my friends, to spend time with my friends. And no matter what the excuse that I came up with or how I tried to convince myself that it wasn't my fault, I would wake up that next morning feeling horrible about myself. And that was the victim mentality. And I realized the power of God again that day that I was walking home from campus and at Texas A&M, and I saw the beauty that was all around me. And I thought of all the time that I had wasted. And I started reading the Bible again that day when I got home. And I've told y'all before that I started out in Revelation. And that scared, it scared me a lot. That put the fear of God back into me. And I remember getting on my knees and just being as thankful as the day that I was baptized. Was I perfect after that? After that day? No, there's no way. You can, you can compare it to like a yard that 
has a ton of weeds in it. You can wage war on all those weeds, but you till it up and you plant some new seeds. Months down the road, there's still going to be weeds in that yard among the newly planted grass. But some might not, you know, they might not know that anybody's even done anything to this yard. But the one that's doing the work knows that there has been a change, just like there was a change that happened in me. So the strategy is pretty, pretty simple. Of course, it's easier said than done. There's two examples right here. This is for sanctification. We persistently move away from the ways of thinking and living that discourage intimacy with God. And then we continuously move towards ways of thinking and living that promote intimacy with God. So this process is called sanctification. And to sanctify something means that you set it apart from some things and then you set it apart for something. And this is an ongoing process. So I renewed my faith in Jesus Christ that day, but it didn't stop there. You know, it's continued to be a process in my life where I do things that bring me closer to God and set my life apart for God. In the beginning of this process, it wasn't a very easy thing to do, but I had to stop hanging out with my old friends because I knew that if I continued to hang out with them in the same settings that I had before, I would end up doing the same old things. And this is the part where you have to know yourself. What thoughts come to, come to your mind when you're tired? Or what seems to be okay whenever you get angry? Or what are some things that you gravitate to when you feel lonely and discouraged? We have to know ourselves. My old friends were what I would gravitate whenever I was feeling lonely or discouraged. So take a, a moment to think about where you consistently compromise what you believe. Are there places that you shouldn't go? Or are there times that you're more vulnerable than, than others? And the example right here is so if your phone, if your cell phone, if it causes you to stumble, it's a good idea not to put it within arm's reach at night. Because this would be similar to like an alcoholic who pours himself some whiskey or something and sets it on his nightstand right next to him. What do you think that they're going to do if they wake up in the middle of the night, if they're prone to taking a drink? I mean, they're putting it within their arm's reach. So if cell phone, if that is a temptation for you, then get it out of your room. And some might say, well, I use that for my alarm clock. Well, then get an alarm clock and then leave that cell phone out of your room. Whatever it is, do your best to get it out of your life. Eliminate the amount of exposure that you have to that temptation. Hebrews 12, 1-2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that it so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what gets your attention? That's ultimately what you think about is what you care about. And it might take a whole lot of intentionality on your end to change what you think about, but there is hope. I know that, you know, in the beginning when this is back in college, but I would memorize scripture a lot so that 
that would just start like a renewing of my mind. And I felt for the longest time that my mind was tainted, you know, and I wanted to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, just like it says in Romans. There's so many sources that cause us to succumb to temptation. For me, I would say that that was the loneliness and the insecurity. And for you, maybe, maybe it's some type of pain or a lie that crept into your heart saying that you weren't worth fighting for, or maybe you feel like you're not enough. And if that's you, I want you to know that those lies are not true. And there's another analogy that is found in Ben Stewart's book. And I thought, I was like, dude, this explains everything so well. This is right on point. So I hope that y'all can understand it. It might be a little bit different because you're not, you know, where, where I am in my, in my lifetime, but I hope you get it. So let's say that you decided to hate me. And on your list of goals, you included, you included destroy Matt Wesley. So one of the worst possible things that anyone could do to me would be to approach my elementary age children and to strike up a conversation with them and to work to convince them that I don't care about them and tell them that they don't measure up to my standards and look them into the eye and endlessly and say that I'm endlessly disappointed in them, that I don't love them or like them and that they're a burden, a hassle, and a disappointment to me, and then convince them that the best thing for them to do would be to run away, find love in the arms of some other father figure and find some shelter somewhere on the streets, go where anywhere else to find love and truth and wisdom. And the most evil thing you could do to me would be driving a wedge between me and my precious kids. That's pretty, that's pretty messed up, huh? <laughs> so this is what Ben Stewart wrote. He said, don't miss this. This is what the enemy does to us. He does it to me. He does it to you. Your identity determines who you are. And if you believe that you're an unlovable son or daughter, you will wander in foreign lands looking to fill that void or that ache and Jesus has already waged war on the devil. And it is a war to convince you that you are a child of God and that he is a loving father. Now, I know that y'all haven't been able to experience being a mom or dad yet. And that was the first, you know, the first time that I realized how much God loved me. And one of my favorite memories was at Possum Kingdom Lake. And Conley, she wasn't even a year old at the time. And she, she needed to take a nap. And so I was like, well, I'll stay back with her. And she was so beautiful and she was so sweet. And I was, I'd feel so much peace just laying there next to her. And I loved her so much. And it's a love that you can't explain. And I think about that love for my daughter and God loves us more than that. And God loves you so much. There's nothing that you could that I could say that would bring that justice. I can't say enough how much God loves you. It's something that you must experience on your own, but I want you to get it. Knowing how much God loves you changes everything. So that changes your identity. It changes the way that you view God. It changes the way that you view yourself. And it changes the relationship that we have with God. 
Our God is holy. He is set apart. He's, but he's an, an approachable God. And God shows us how much he loves us because he sent his son to die on the cross. Now I want you to know that it's a relationship. It's not a checklist. You don't go through a checklist to make sure that you're doing everything that you can for your best friend. You, you do those things for your best friend because you do care about him. So Lindsay is my best friend. I don't make checklists with her, you know. I don't say, take out the garbage, check. Or make the bed, check. Or fix the washer, check. No, I, I take out the garbage because I don't want my lady carrying some heavy trash out to the dumpster. And I make the bed because when she gets home from work, it's it's nice, you know. It's nice, it's welcoming, it's like, oh, he actually did something, this is very nice. Or I fixed the washer yesterday so that she can wash my clothes. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But I did fix the washer as soon as I could because I realized how inconvenient it was for the family in general to not have a washer. Yeah, dude, it's amazing. It's got a glass top. It's five cubic feet and put a lot of clothes in it. Anyways, I do these things because I want my wife to feel valued. And this, the same is true with our relationship with God. Pursuit of holiness, it's not determined by activities or rules that we adhere to. It's knowing that he is the God of creation. He's the beginning and the end. He's perfect. He's holy. He's love. It is to know how awesome of a God that he is. And when I first began my relationship with Lindsay, I wanted to get to know her more. You know, I wanted to know what she loved. I wanted to know what she hated. I wanted to eat breakfast with her. I wanted to eat lunch with her, dinner, you know, spend as much time as I could with her because I wanted to know her more. And I still want to know her more because love seeks out knowledge about the ones that we love. So load your mind with thoughts about God. And the more that you learn about God, the more that you will love him. And I hope that there's a strong desire to learn more about God. This is the pursuit of holiness. The more that you learn about God, the more that you will love him and the more that you will become more like our God. And the cool thing about all this is the spirit that led Jesus in the beginning of his ministry is able to be in each one of us. And that same spirit can indwell us, it can empower us, it can equip us. And we're about to move to small groups here in a little bit. If you have any questions about any of this, ask your small group leader. And if you wanna be baptized, let's, let's talk about that more. If you need solutions on how to eliminate something out of your life, something that's a temptation, we can talk about that with you too, because that's what we're here for. Would y'all pray with me and then we'll break up. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for all of our many blessings. Thank you for who you are. I pray that we just continue to pursue you, Father, and to know you more and more and to reflect your goodness, to reflect your holiness, Father, that we'd be sanctified, that we'd move more towards you and get the things out of our lives that are not like you. Lord, and that we just, just like the knowledge that we have would continue to grow because 
you want to know more about the ones that you, that you love. Lord, I pray that over this group. I pray that we love you in ways that we had no idea that we could, Father, and that we love others because of you, because of your goodness. Thank you so much for this group. Thank you for everybody coming here tonight, Father, even, even though there's sickness around, Lord, and they could have been somewhere else, but I'm grateful that they're here. It's in your precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.